0: Welcome to episode 7 of Jazz Talk Northwest. My name is Josh. And my name is Max. And for the very first time in a very long time, we have no (laughs) guests in the studio. Oh! Oh boy. It's just us. So we're going to talk about two very special records today. Uh, The first one is Freddie Hubbard's 1976 record. Yep, 1976, called Windjammer.
1: I love smartphones, don't you? Yeah, so this is a... um, Well... I think this is a fantastic record. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Freddie Hubbard is one of the legends of, of jazz music. Um, he's a trumpet player. Well, it was a trumpet player. I think he passed away in 2006 or something, somewhere around there.
0: That's a great smartphone question. That
1: is a great smartphone question. We'll have to look that one up. But anyway, um, fantastic trumpet player. He's played with everybody throughout the ages of jazz. Um, and he has some music that he made and performed and wrote and everything in the seventies. And not that many people really know about it because it's a little bit different from the music that he's known for playing, which is more straight ahead jazz. Usually maybe I guess red clay and things Mm -hmm. enter the funk realm, but this is most definitely
0: not a straight ahead. I don't know how you would
1: actually call this music. Yeah. It's, it's, (laughs) it's not straight ahead jazz. It's not, it's definitely funky. Um, very different. And, um, I really like it. I've heard that others have had differing viewpoints on this album. Josh, what, what did you notice about that?
0: About the different viewpoints?
1: Yeah. You mentioned there was a review that you saw somewhere that, yeah, mm, totally. Um,
0: um so in looking into reviewers, <laughs> uh, other reviewers' opinions on the album in preparation for this episode. I pulled up All Music because that's, you know, everybody checks All Music. And Scott Yano from All Music hated this record with a fiery passion. And he says, uh, let's see, and I quote the, the the review here, This LP, along with his Splash album on Fantasy, is probably trumpeter Freddie Hubbard's worst recording hubbard who was joined by a string section five vocalists and an oversized orchestra it sounds like a parody of himself on these meaningless funk tracks and i'm going to skip ahead a little bit this is insincere music that was dated before it was even released that oh was really goodness. harsh holy <laughs> cow
1: well what year was that review from
0: that's a good question uh that's a so, another great smartphone question yeah, that I I'm, I'm wondering right
1: if if this person maybe. Um, had some expectations mm-hmm. for, uh, what Freddie Hubbard should be doing. And maybe Freddie Hubbard didn't know about those and just kind of wanted to do what he wanted to do. Um, this, this record, each, each track kind of is different for me. I actually found out I was just on a, a little road trip and I put on one of the tracks for my mom to listen to cause she was actually with me and it's called Dreamweaver. I did not know this, but it's not an original composition by Freddie. This is a, a song by Gary Wright. And it's from 1975, a year before this, this record was released. And it sounds totally different than the original. Um, I like Freddie Hubbard's version a lot better. Um, even though it has no words. But if we go through the track listing here, um, Dreamweaver, it's, it's kind of like that fantasy jazz funk kind of thing, almost. I love the the vocals on it. It just makes me feel like I'm in the 70s. I don't know. I don't really know what that means. But uh, Feelings, that's the second track. Mm-hmm. Is that the really slow one? No, no, that's uh, Touch Me Baby. That one's really funky.
0: Feelings is the uh, romantic ballad one.
1: Oh, yeah, the romantic one, yeah. Yeah, and then... Rock Me Arms, I just keep singing along with mm-hmm. every time I listen to it. Um, Touch Me Baby is like the funkiest, most grooving piece on this record, I think, in my opinion. Um, although the whole thing is pretty grooving. It's very backbeat-centric. and.
0: So I guess it's my turn to finally state my opinion. I didn't like the record very
1: much. Oh, man.
0: <laughs> So maybe this will be a more interesting slash contentious episode.
1: Yes. Okay. Let's hear it, Josh. I
0: thought that <clears throat> Dreamweaver and the second Feelings, right, was the mm-hmm. second track. Yep. Both of them in particular. It's just the the group was okay. I, I didn't find it very interesting. Um, okay. And Why is that? Uh, I mean, maybe it is because we are in 2018 and the record's from 1976, but it's just, it doesn't sound like that uh a lot of it sounds really cliched but it did come to the 70s so maybe that's that's part of it but in particular i have more complaints about the soloing which felt to me like it didn't fit um the groove of the rest of the band I... especially freddie's solos well, it's like th- they felt really kind of floaty and like they felt like the second track felt to me like it was an old seventies pop song with a bunch of strings and stuff. And he was just taking the place of where the singer would normally be. And I, I didn't particularly like the treatment.
1: Yeah. I think that's, that's kind of the vibe. I, I think it's cool. I think it's totally different. I mean, if you think about what was going on in the seventies, um, maybe he was trying to keep up with the times or something, but, um, I don't know. I think it's cool to hear him in a different context. Also, I was looking at this album online and it says that there are quite a few different people playing on it. Totally. I don't actually know who is playing on which track.
0: Right. However, and there who's are which solo or... several
1: trumpet players listed on this record. There's oh, yeah. John Faddis, Freddie Hubbard. There's who else? Um, We've got
0: Michael Brecker on tenor. George Cable's on keys. Bernie
1: Glau. Lou Soloff is on trumpet as well.
0: Hubert Law's playing flute.
1: (laughs) Marvin Stamm on trumpet. I mean, we have all these different people here. I don't... I mean, I would love to know more about who's on which track. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, I mean, the whole band is pretty... This is a huge record in terms of personnel. It's a stellar
0: list of people. And it makes me wonder a lot about how this record was produced. Yeah. So, we've talked in previous episodes a lot, especially with guests about how they produce their album. And unfortunately this is the kind of thing that often just doesn't get written down how albums get produced when you don't get to talk to the actual creators. They, they don't necessarily put them in the album notes or the reviews won't say. Um, but yeah, with, with this many people um, it makes me wonder how much of it was recorded together versus uh, multi-tracked and layered on later.
1: Well, it looks like um, Bob James produced this record. And he's kind of known as being more on the mm, smooth kind of side of things. He's a piano player and producer and stuff. Composer. Um, And yeah, I mean, part of this record does sound kind of like smooth jazz. Mm-hmm. um, Which probably... Which it might have been the part of, probably part jazz. of the
0: reason that it, it um, uh, raises my hackles and causes a visceral reaction from me.
1: Yeah, but I don't know. I think it has too much soul to be smooth jazz. Maybe that's not true. Maybe I don't know. I'm probably annoying a lot of people right
0: now. <laughs> <laughs> I probably am too. Uh oh.
1: Well, anyway, I thought it was cool. It was a totally different. Thing that I was expecting to hear when I first listened to this record, thinking of the hard bop Freddie Hubbard that I've mm-hmm. listened to for
0: forever. Um, so Max, where did you find this record? How did you come across it?
1: So there was a period of time, uh, several years ago, when I was really into just checking out one person at a time and going through all their records. This might have been when streaming really became a thing. Mm-hmm. And I, of course, wouldn't tell anyone that I was using Spotify because that would be of the devil or something. But um, but I thought it was cool that I could like look at all the records people had produced, even though not all of them are on streaming. And I, for the record, I actually don't use Spotify anymore, for those who care. Um, but I was checking out all these records, and I found this one called Windjammer. Windjammer, that is. And, um, I put it on and it was just so different and Then I, I, I was fascinated. I don't know. Cool. I thought it was cool.
0: Well, I <clears> discovered <throat> this record because Max told me about it right before we recorded this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yep.
1: Oh yeah. All the prep time in the world. Mm-hmm. But check it out; it's pretty. I think it's cool.
0: Yeah, it's on Spotify. It's on Google Play. A bunch of other streaming stuff. Uh, It's out of print, but you can probably find a used copy somewhere on the internet.
1: Yeah, write write us a comment on our Facebook page and let us know what you think about it. If you disagree, oh yeah,
0: if you like the podcast, like the Facebook page. We're on Facebook.
1: Yeah, we have one of those, don't we?
0: We do, and that's one of the places that you can find news about us. And we publish there every time we have a new episode coming out. Yeah, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. And write a comment and review us. We even put pictures
1: up there every now and then. We We do put
0: pictures up on our Facebook every now and then. Yeah. Wow. Maybe we'll put a picture of my dog.
1: Yeah. Why not? Or your cat. Do you have a cat? No, I don't. Oh. I sort of used to have one. It's still alive, but it it doesn't live with me anymore.
0: (laughs) Anyway. Okay. So this next record we're talking about is uh brad meldow's latest record and it's called seymour reads the constitution and it came out this year right 2018
1: it did come out 2018 is this after after bach
0: it is after just barely after after bach Bach. yeah after after bach and after bach (laughs) was a completely (laughs) solo album right yeah yeah and pretty interesting concept do you want to talk about that a little bit
1: why not actually yeah well why don't we talk about maybe brad's history period for sure. a second so i'll go ahead and say again that this is one of my favorite musicians and trios really um ever uh brad meldow is a pianist for those who do not know he um has played everything from super swinging straight ahead burning jazz piano to his own kind of style that he's basically known for by his name now. Like mm-hmm. if you say Meldau style, that means something totally. Um, and I don't know, you could describe it as, as modern or, I mean, he has some, some signature phrase type things that are just kind of extended and beautifully they're just beautiful
0: (laughs) yeah he's also incredibly technical and able to pull off uh, crazy things and uh, with the way he plays and that stuff is just littered all over this record i
1: think one of the best improvisers of all time for sure
0: yeah I really like Brad as well. And I've been listening to him for a long time. I listened to him a lot in college and just, he had this series of records called art of the trio. Oh yeah. And I don't even remember how many there were. There was like one, two, three, four, at least four, I think
1: four or five. In which he plays a bunch of standards
0: and with the trio that I think it's the same trio that's on this record. And, uh, the, those three have just been playing together. So for those that don't know, Brad Meldon on piano, Larry Grenadier on bass, Jeff Ballard on drums.
1: Jorge Rossi played drums on some of the Art of the Trio ones. That's true. And earlier ones, I think. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but they, all three, uh, both trios are just very communicative and uh, in my mind kind of takes the idea of how Bill Elvin's had his piano trio and just takes it even further or just moves it along in history, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a sense of, with their original stuff, or, or at least how they approach standards, because they play a lot of standards as well mm-hmm. as originals, um, and arrangements and things, is that there's a very vast sense of freedom within the music. And if there's an idea or something that's going on, then it, it seems like they'll roll with that for a while, and really let it expand and develop, and, and then eventually come back to the song and whatever fashion they decide to do it in. But, um, they, yeah, it seems it's always there. The song is always there. They never leave the song entirely, which is really cool. If you're listening for the song in the Mm -hmm. middle of one of their expanded ideas.
0: And one of the things that I think is really cool about Brad Meldow and his trio, um, is that I guess, he he doesn't just play standards and originals. He also really delves hard into pop tunes and rock songs. He plays yeah. Radiohead and Soundgarden. And on this record, he has, let's see, a uh, Brian Wilson tune mm-hmm. and a uh, Paul McCartney tune, Great Day. And it's a great recording.
1: Yeah. Then he has Beatrice, you know, Sam Rivers, Jazz mm-hmm. Standard, although they play it slightly differently. Um, yeah, I mean, they, and he also, I should just mention that two times I've seen Brad, I think I've seen him actually maybe three or four times, but mm-hmm. two especially stuck out to me. One was a solo piano set here in Seattle at Jazz Alley. The other was a trio set in New York at the Village Vanguard. Um, and actually there's a funny story behind that. So there's this drum shop in New York that has really good drums. Just, it's called Steve Maxwell. It's where everybody goes for really cool drums. They have like a museum of drums there as well as a really great store. And I was in there one time and I was playing on this kit in a practice room and I was really liking it. It was a really cool drum set. And um, then the door opens and Jeff Ballard walks in Whoa. he says, Hey, sorry to interrupt, but I actually have to buy this right now. Um, and so I said, Oh, Okay. Sure. Sorry. <laughs> so comes in and buys the kit that I was playing on and I I take off and then later that night I go to the Vanguard to see Meldow's trio and sure enough there is Jeff Ballard playing the same kit that I was playing on at the Vanguard with Brad Meldow. And it was just kind of this weird moment where I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, I definitely played that earlier. That's Did you get to cool. talk to him
0: afterwards at the Vanguard? No, I don't
1: know. No, it was pretty pretty slammed. <clears throat> but it was still that was one of the best shows I've ever
0: seen. Huh. Yeah. Probably because you played his kid before he did, right?
1: Well, I might have been a little more into it because of that, but it was genuinely <laughs> just amazing musically. And of course, the Vanguard is kind of a special place the for Vanguard jazz, too.
0: The Vanguard is magic. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And for those that don't know, uh, the Village Vanguard is a jazz club in New York that's been around forever, and a lot of really famous records were recorded there.
1: It's kind of a sacred place for jazz music. It is. The owner just passed away. I
0: did hear about that.
1: But I think it's going to be carried on... By her children, I think? Uh, I don't know. Hopefully.
0: Uh, Yeah. I I would hope so. If I remember right, I think two of her children are carrying it on. And there's a manager that worked with her for a long time that is also holding the torch.
1: Good. That's really good. Anyway, back to Brad. But yeah. So this record features... Let's see. Here's the track listing here.
0: Well, the first one is a tune called Spiral, which I really liked. Um, And it starts off with this... Classic thing that Brad does all the time, and this which is, is
1: Brad's original, right? Not the
0: yes, yeah, Brad's original. A
1: Coltrane tune called Spiral too, I think.
0: Not the same one. Yeah. So Brad's playing <clears throat> a left hand ostinato thing, a repeated figure again and again and again in five or ten or something, and uh, the right hand comes in with the melody that just kind of floats over the top, and it seems like he's able to do this crazy thing where he his left hand is in metronomic precision playing that same line again and again throughout the like so much of the tune and the right hand can speed up a little and then lay back and then just kind of play with time and he's got this insane thing where he can have two hands doing very separate things yep
1: that's one of the cool things about meldow as well as the other members of his trio is they're one of the aspects of the music that they're really good at expressing themselves with is is kind of like bending the time Mm -hmm. so it's not just playing really cool melodic and harmonic and rhythmic things but on adding on to that is they can pull and stretch and push and and do whatever they want to with the the phrasing but it's always still there it's always Just still there, cool. and they,
0: for some reason, like different people can be pushing or pulling mm-hmm. in opposite directions, or in three different directions even, mm-hmm. and yet they never sound like they're apart. They always sound like they're completely together.
1: And they're all good enough musicians to follow everything that everyone else is doing, it seems, mm-hmm. which is really incredible.
0: Yeah. this I'm pretty sure, if not on this track, I don't remember now, on other tracks... Uh, brad does the same ostinato thing again where he plays a repeated figure but he's able to toss that figure between hands so it'll be in his left Mm -hmm. hand and it will improvise with the right hand for a little while and then because he feel like feels like it and because he can he'll start doing that with his right hand and then fill in with a left hand improvising and that's just uh yeah some of the most impressive playing i've ever heard
1: and one of my favorite things that brad also does is i mean obviously when he plays solo he does this but uh, oftentimes he'll take an extended intro or an outro or even just a solo like i think on 10 tune uh, towards the second half of the song he just goes full solo piano yeah and just goes and takes it on a journey like a crazy journey and then brings it back and it's amazing and i that's he does that on several live recordings that i mean i've seen him do it live on recordings and some of his other records as well but this is a great example of of Brad just at his finest, just kind of exploring the music by himself. It's really cool.
0: So let's talk about Ten Tune. Actually, do you sure. how much of that do you have in your head right now, Max? Um, not much, but I vaguely remember how it goes. So it starts off with like I think they're playing a ten, which is probably why I, I they're called a Ten thing Tune. In
1: five, which is also very easily ten. Ten, right?
0: Yeah. And I couldn't interpret what was going on with the drums at the beginning. It felt really cool and the best way i can describe it is messy and i don't mean that in a bad way but it's just i felt like time was kind of crossing back and forth and i don't even know what that means but that's what it felt like to me
1: jeff ballard is good at that sorry jeff
0: um (laughs) but yeah in a really good way
1: it sounded kind of like he was playing something in six cool i i only got to listen to this one once and I, I, I'm trying to remember exactly what was going on, but I do remember listening to the beginning of this song and thinking that it did sound really cool because it, it sounded like he was almost implying like a, a six, eight Afro Cuban type symbol pattern. Um, but the, the piano seemed to be in
0: five, right?
1: Which is pretty cool. Yes. And I, I should listen again and really figure out what was going on. But I remember that being very cool.
0: I'd, it took me a couple tries just to figure out that the piano was in five with all the stuff that was going on with the drums. It was just really, really cool. And kind of a, uh, you know, those books that like Matt called Magic Eye, where it's like these yes. fuzzy images. You cross your eyes and something 3D pops pop, out. At yeah, you. it pops out. That's what this song felt like to me with all Whoa. these things going on. And there's just a lot of depth to it. And just.
1: Yeah. And if you're just listening to this record maybe you're not a musician, I would recommend just maybe not analyzing it at first, at least. And just let it wash over you. Yeah, just kind of go along for the ride, experience what it is. And then if you really want to, if you're a musician and you like analyzing music, then maybe try and figure out what's going on. But on a first listen, I would just take a ride with the music on this one. For sure. Yeah.
0: So we can't not talk about the title of the album, which is very curious one of the about tracks, this. Yeah. It's called Seymour reads the constitution. And if you go to Brad Mellow's website and look up the page for the album, there is a little pop-up that tells you the story behind the name for the song. Apparently at some point in Brad's life, he had a dream where he was sitting in a really old library with tons of books on the shelves and Philip Seymour Hoffman out of nowhere was reading the United States Constitution to him. And while this surreal thing is happening, he hears music in the background, and then he wakes up in the middle of the dream and really, really quickly writes it all down (laughs) before he forgets it. Whoa. And then, of course, he works with it and develops it further, and then that becomes this tune.
1: I love it when music comes out of dreams, and I especially love it when Brad Meldo does something like that. I can't really imagine what his dreams are like based on his piano playing, but I would hazard a guess that they're pretty crazy. They gotta be. Yeah.
0: This tune, I really like. It's probably my favorite track on the album. It's like happy, but kind of somber and serious at the same time. It's like Mm -hmm. hopeful or lilting waltz. And it sounds, it's just a gorgeous melody. It's really, really pretty. And there's a good, bit of the tune where um where larry grenadier on bass is playing the melody together with the piano and brad's just playing the accompaniment with bass and accompaniment and and comping with his left hand and so the actual double bass is sounding up really really high together with the piano playing the melody and it's a really cool texture and it's just that's not a texture that gets explored very often because by default bass holds down the low end Mm -hmm. and um yeah, Brad Mattle's trio in particular just breaks every stereotype because they can and tries to explore that. And I, I think they do really, really well in this tune.
1: I love the range that Meldow uses on the piano too when mm-hmm. he's playing. He goes he uses the full extent of the piano's sounds. I mean it's it's awesome. Not a lot of piano players do that. Yeah. It kinda reminds me of actually that plus the level of listening amongst the trio. Members kind of reminds me of Ahmad Jamal's trio, hmm. with Israel Crosby and Vernal Fournier. I mean, though it's a very different kind of playing; it's much more sparse in Ahmad's trio, or was. But, um, I think they they share a, a similar level of listening. I mean, both of those trios listen so well to each other. That's how I feel so about well each other. That's
0: how I feel about um, Bill Evans' trio. Yeah, Bill and, Evans as and, well, and how. Yeah, I guess yeah. Brad always reminds me of Bill Evans.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think he has borrowed a few things. Mm-hmm. Although he's probably borrowed a few things from a lot of
0: different people. <laughs> as does as every as, musician. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's cool when you can kind of hear um, influences or similarities. Oh, yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah, well, this is an A-plus record for sure.
0: Okay, so let's uh, talk about what's going on in Seattle. Uh, so Marina Christopher, who was the guest on uh, this podcast just a couple months ago, I think the May episode, is having her CD release party for her band Marina and the Dream Boats. And that's this coming Friday, July 13th at the JNM Cafe at 9.30 p.m. It's a good band. Yeah, that's
1: that's going to be fun. We have quite a few other shows coming up, too. Just looking at the calendar here, we have another one of our former guests, Birch Pereira, and the Gin Joints, also with Sunday and Mr. Gessel. Uh, July 27th, that's at the North City Bistro. That should be fun.
0: Sunday yeah. and Mr. Gessel have been on tour all over the country for the past couple months, it seems like. Quite a like. while, Yeah,
1: yeah. Another Seattle local person who has been on tour for a while is organist delvon lamar and he's still gone but i think he'll be back in august and we'll talk about that later but some other shows happening in july are there's a stride piano concert down at the royal room on july 18th it's featuring people like chris mccarthy who is a seattleite who lives in new york alex gilbert jacob zimmerman is a special guest a few other people that'll be really cool we have some usuals like stephanie porter um on the 27th as well let's see what else here
0: 27th where tula's oh yeah. Tula's cool and you mentioned that paul green is coming back for a show right
1: yeah i'm actually playing with him on that show that's oh, awesome. on the 26th of july that's it So egan's
0: paul, paul green, green is yeah. this uh fantastic vocalist and <clears throat> sick harmonica player yeah that lived here for a very long time and then moved to arizona recently but i guess it's going to be back in town at egan's first show
1: yeah pretty cool we have a secret jazz club concert on the 12th i guess that's in like two days i don't know if this will even be out by then but Uh, maybe
0: maybe not we'll see maybe we'll see Uh, where is that one is the location secret too? uh
1: you're just gonna have to google secret jazz club oh yeah uh we have og mctuff mctuff is a classic seattle eh, it's not quite jazz but might as well mention it. it's funk kind of stuff with skerrick another seattle legend saxophone player again maybe jazz but sure. definitely a masterful musician worth mentoring, and mentioning and where is that happening that is at the nectar lounge oh you know what that's in august too i guess we just talked about august august 18th and oh, there, was, there were like two more that i wanted to mention there's um let's see Jared Hall is doing a show down at Tula's, July 26th. Oh, that's conflicting with Paul Green, isn't it? And Matt Wilson uh, is going to be with Don Clement. Yep, Matt Wilson, the drummer. Really nice guy, really great drummer. Looks like an outstanding band with Don. Uh, looks like Mark Taylor, Chuck Deerdorf, and Jay Thomas. That looks really cool. That's July 17th lineup. down at Tula's. Then there's Capitol Hill Block Party. I don't really know if they have any jazz at that or not. But that I is don't happening. know,
0: but there is an after party that's happening at Capitol Cider. I think it's the 20th and the 21st. And huh. there is a funky jazz band called Bad News Botanist that's playing there. I don't oh, remember which date. The... You'll have to look up Bad News Botanist. Is
1: that the under the block party or yes, something? Yes, it is. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. So
0: that is well worth checking out and Ooh. that's also going on this gail, month
1: gail pettis also fantastic vocalist here in seattle she is going to be playing at tula's on the 21st cool That should be cool
0: so there's plenty 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 of yeah. music check going on Check out the earshot for calendar.
1: calendar check out the k and kx calendar they all have great things going on too mm-hmm.
0: yeah cool thanks for listening everybody see you in a month